in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, band. Good morning once again. Hey, if you're online, say hello. Let us know that you're out there. My wife told me there are a lot more people online this morning. And say a prayer for Lynn. You know, Lynn is our, our, what do we call him? Meter and greeter is a nice thing. Lynn is online. He's in the hospital. He's on his phone. He's at church. That is awesome. So say hi to Lynn. And Flip's family is here. It's good to see you all. Well, we're in a series called Walking with Jesus 2021. And we've been primarily using the gospel of Luke as our source. And uh, if you want to get any of the past messages, you can go online to our website, lakewayonline.org. Go to our website, uh, go to Facebook or our app. And last week, as we've been kind of working our way through here, we reached the point where Jesus selects the 12 apostles. And this morning, what I want to look at is what happens immediately following Jesus selecting those 12. I mean, does does he go on a retreat with them, take them away to a quiet place, you know, to do some intense training? Does he simply have them follow him around for a little while, you know, watch and learn? Or does he send them out, learn on the job? And the answer to that is yes to all of the above. Now, let me explain. Back at the start of the series, nine weeks ago, I shared a fact that we know very little of the Lord's ministry. We think we know a lot. We've got four Gospels. But when you look at those four Gospels and you put it all together, we only have about 51 days of the three years that Jesus was on the earth. That comes out to about 5%. So 95% of the time that Jesus walked around, we don't know what he was doing. And there's good reason for that. Jesus was not a dignitary. He wasn't a prince. He wasn't a king. He didn't have a bunch of paparazzi following him around recording everything. Um, and, and all the gospel that we got, you know, this, this was put together afterwards. So 95%, we don't know. So that's why sometimes when you're reading the gospels, you might be thinking, well, it seems a little jumbled or disjointed. They seem to go off in, in different directions. That's because we only have 5% of the information. And that's the exact case with this. When Jesus selects his 12 apostles, what happened next? Well, you look in Matthew, you look in Mark, and you look in Luke. We call them the complementary gospels. They they complement each other. Each one kind of has a different direction. Now, I've given you, if you didn't get a sermon outline, raise your hands and we'll get one to you. You need one. A couple over here. Who's in charge of sermon outlines? One here. Lynn. (laughs) Where are you, Lynn? Anybody else need one? I've put the scriptures in your sermon outline. We're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke. So I'm just going to read a little bit here. So in Matthew chapter 10, so immediately Jesus chooses the 12. That's the verse right before this. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, basically what he's saying to them, don't go to unbelievers. And don't go to people that kind of believe what we believe, but it's a little different. That was the Samaritans. They're, they're in training after all. He's not throwing them into the shark tank. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Go to people that are already God's people. Now, after Pentecost, that all changes. They, they go to everybody. But at this, st- this stage, that's not happening. 
Verse 7, it says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. So he's saying, don't take anything with you. I want you to learn to depend on me. Go do the work I've called you to do and don't worry anything else. And what Jesus is teaching here is faithfulness. He's teaching them to trust him. Now, I'm not going to read the, next, the rest of this passage, but I, I do want to summarize it for you. He tells them that they'd better be, as sh- that they'd better be smart and shrewd. That he's sending them out like sheep into the wolves. How would that make you feel? You know, if you're one of these 12, Jesus has been up on the mountain. He selected you. He called you aside. He said, I want you all to do what I've been doing. I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. It's like, yeah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He's telling them they're going to face serious opposition. They will cause division in his name. They will be arrested in his name. They will be persecuted in his name. And then down in verse 37 through 39, he says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, in summary, they're going to persecute you, imprison you, beat you, and eventually kill you. But don't be afraid. I'm with you. And in the middle of that passage, he he talks, there's this little bit, he says, you are precious in the Father's eyes. Now, a lot of that stuff that Jesus talks to them about in this passage of Scripture is not what happens to them immediately. This is what's going to happen to them further on down the road, on the other side of Pentecost. This is kind of the training ground here. But he's setting them up. Like, this this is where you're going, guys. Have at it. And he's emphasizing faithfulness. The mission is tough. Stay faithful. All right, let's have a look in Mark. So Mark chapter 3 is just named the twelve. Just a couple of verses here. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So it's packed. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So the atmosphere here, he's selected these 12. You've got this atmosphere of hostility and chaos. The church leaders say he's possessed by a demon. Even his family are questioning him. I often wonder about his family. You know, we were talking about this in small group. Mary and Joseph both got visited by an angel. They told them that they were going to have the Son of God. But now think about that. We have all the Gospels. We have all the information. They, they didn't have any of that. All they had was the Old Testament. And I'm sure that that never really sunk in. I mean, you're a mom and a dad, and you've got the kids at the table, and they're eating a the meal, and that one's God? It makes no sense. 
So I can see why, as you read through the Gospels, you read these accounts of, of Mary and, and Jesus' brother and sister sometimes, and it doesn't fit with the fact that they were told that he was God. But what does that mean? They have no clue. So there's all this stress and strain going on. There's people pushing in around Jesus. His family thinks the stress has got to him. He, he's lost it. Someone better go in there and get him. And then down in the last few verses, it says, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. I love what Jesus says. Who are my mother? Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him. And I'm assuming this is the 12. He said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. What's Jesus teaching on? Faithfulness. He's teaching on faithfulness. All right, Luke. Chapter 6, he's just named the 12. It says, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from around the coastal region, around Tyre and Sidon. So all kinds of people there, not just disciples, others. <sighs> Who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. It's, it's a strange scene right here. Again, it's kind of chaotic. People are crowding in around Jesus. Power is coming out of him. Now, I don't think Jesus cared who he healed or what he healed. What did Jesus care about? He wanted them to hear the news of the good news of the gospel. So he's got this power emanating from it. And, and I imagine they're all crowding around. And I just imagine if they're that crowded, once you get about 20, 30 feet away, there's, there's a bunch of people. Now you're within earshot. And you can hear what Jesus is teaching. But it's going to take you about 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes to get from there, squeeze through the people that are coming up to touch him. And what's the first thing you're going to do once you've touched Jesus? You touch him. Your skin is healed, your blindness is gone, whatever it is, you touch him and boom. I'll tell you what the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to go tell someone. I'm heading straight back to my wife, I'm heading straight back to my family, I'm heading back to my friends. I got up there, touched a guy, boom, I was instantly healed. But in the process of me getting to touch him, I'm listening to him. And he's telling me about what's really important. This skin disease, it's, a, it, it's not good. But the disease of your soul is worse. And that's what needs to be healed. So Jesus is using this. He's, he's, he's using this power. It's just emanating from him. And people are trying to get up there and touch him. And he doesn't care about the chaos. Because the message is going out. But it says, looking at his disciples, he said... Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Let me just take a little caveat here. A lot of people think that this is the same teaching as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. It's not. It's not out of the ordinary for Jesus to teach the same message in various places because the message doesn't change. So yeah, he did a Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is on, the, on the level. It's a different message. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil 
because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Whew. When it says he looked at his disciples here, I'm assuming again the 12 are right there, front and center, because he's just named them. And what does he tell them? <laughs> You're going to be poor. You're going to be hungry. You're going to weep. You're going to be hated. You're going to be excluded. You're going to be rejected because of me. Rejoice, though, <laughs> because your reward in heaven is worth it. It's worth the journey of pain you're going to. You see, you're never going to set out on the journey if you don't believe that the destination is worth it. And then he goes on to teach them, further on, to love their enemies. Well, who are the enemies? These very people that are doing this to them. They must not judge. Judge who? These people. And then he says, what is in the heart is what is... What bears fruit in one's life? If your heart is good, you will be good. If your heart is dark, you will, be go- you will be dark. Don't be part of the darkness. Bring light into the darkness. And he concludes with this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck this house, it will collapse, and its destruction was complete. Again, Jesus concludes this teaching, teaching about faithfulness. Three different Gospels, three different directions. Did these events take place on a mountain? Did they take place on the level? Did they take place in somebody's house? Did they take place down on the lake? It doesn't matter. Because the answer is yes. Because Jesus did what he does everywhere. He's teaching. And he's teaching his followers about faithfulness. Everywhere he goes, as he goes. That if we're to be true followers of Christ, faithfulness is where it's at. Can you imagine what they're thinking? All of this chaos, all of this stuff, you know, one lot of teaching, he's telling them that they're going to be beaten and died. Another lot of teaching, he's telling them they're going to be hungry, they're going to be persecuted, they're going to be victimized. And I, and I imagine I'm just thinking, really, Jesus? Really? This is what you want us to do? You've got to be crazy. We must be crazy. I mean, who signs up for something like that? You and I did. We signed up for something like that. You ever had a get real moment? You know, a sort of, how did I get here? Those are usually in the valleys of life, aren't they? I'm going to share a get real moment that I probably have only shared maybe two or three times in my life. And I don't think I've ever shared it here. I have one of these get real moments. So, so just keep this to yourself, okay? This is between you and me. And the internet. But we all know the internet is absolutely safe. 
So back on May 3rd, 1974, my best friend Mike and I are out on the town. His birthday had been the day before. And we were celebrating it in the usual style, going from pub to pub, drinking as much as humanly possible. That's what we did. And on the way home, in our drunken state, we, we pass a construction site right down on the water. Plymouth, where I come from, is a port city, and the, all the way around is water. And Mike says, let's go in there and take a look. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But he climbs over the fence. And in my drunken state, I climb over the fence behind him. And now we're inside here, and, and there's a boat moored there. Mike climbs down on the boat, and I'm saying, don't go down there. No, no, no. He goes down there, and he's rummaging around on the boat. I decide I'm not going to go down there. And, and he passes up something, and it's a box about this big plasticky, hard plastic. And I take it from him, idiot. He passes another one, and it looks like they got a little kitchen thing going on there. There's a little gas stove, you know, with the propane and, and sausages, and he passes the sausages up. He passes up a carving knife they had down there, some other things. And all the time, I'm like, well, what, what are we doing? Mike climbs back up. We climb back over the fence, take all of our stuff with us. We head into town, which is not very far away. We're going to get a cab home. Normally, we'd walk home, but we were so stupid drunk, and we've got this stuff. Now, we're, we're going to get a cab. And the cab pulls up with three police cars, three squad cars. One drives up on the sidewalk beside us, one in front of the cab, one behind the cab. The lights are all flashing. Cops jump out, dismiss the cab, arrest Mike and I for robbery. Take us to the police station. We get out of the car, and the cop says, you carry that stuff in, you took it, you carry it. And then one of the cops picked up the knife and gave it to me. He said, I want you to carry this in. Didn't think anything of it. I'm drunk. Whatever. Go in. They put us in a different room. They want to take a statement. I just told them the truth. Mike told them the truth. We stayed in there all night and most of the next day, enjoying the hospitality of the Plymouth Police Department. Had steak and kidney pie for lunch. I remember that. (laughs) Which I love. (laughs) No phone call. Mike had just turned 17 the day before. I was going to be 18 in a few months' time. So I'm almost two years older than Mike. (laughs) And here's a little bit of TMI. You you get that what am I doing here moment? I remember banging on the door because we've been drinking. I need to go to the bathroom. And the cop opens the door. And there's the toilet sitting in the middle of the open. And I remember sitting there thinking... This is a low point. <laughs> Next day, late in the afternoon, parents come. They've been worried about us all night. Pick up Mike. His parents were not very calm. Mine were mostly calm. We get a lawyer each. <laughs> and I remember the conversation with the lawyer. He says, uh, this is serious. He said, you know those plastic boxes that you guys took? That was high-tech maritime equipment that they were using. And the value takes this up to a different level here. You guys are going to prison. And I'm thinking, are you serious? I didn't even want to go in there. 
But it gets worse. We were in the newspaper. The day of the court appearance. Here's how the police framed it up. Mike Bishop is the ringleader of these two. He's older and he's leading the other one astray. And he's the one. He is the ringleader. And, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, what? (laughs) And the police continue. Not only that, Judge, Mike Bishop was armed. He was carrying a carving knife. This is armed robbery. And I'm, you've got to be kidding me. Now, the way the court is set up, the judge is here, the lawyers are there, and I'm sitting way down there. It's not like it is over here. I couldn't even talk to my lawyer. And and he turns around, and, and he's looking at me with daggers in his eyes. And he mouths, why didn't you tell me this? And now I'm thinking, the judge hates me, the cops hate me, and now my lawyer hates me. This is not going in a good direction. So I did something wise. I raised my hand and said, can I speak? And the judge let me speak. And I said, I didn't even want to go in there. And the knife was on the boat. And I pointed right at the cop. And that cop there put the knife in my hand and told me to carry it into the police station. The judge saw it for what it was. Thank you, God. God wasn't part of my picture at that time. And he gave us what was called a conditional discharge. That meant for 18 months, we didn't, there there was no fine, there was no prison or anything from this. If you don't get in trouble for 18 months, this goes away. And if you do get in trouble in 18 months, we'll be doing this and whatever the new thing is. And you'll get all of it. (laughs) That was... And I need to change my life moment. I remember sitting there thinking, how did I get here? And then the judge, he said, but you will pay the court costs. And my court costs were twice what Mike's court costs were. And he said, the reason I'm giving you the higher court costs is because you're older and you should have known better and you shouldn't have been doing it. And I remember thinking to myself, yep, yep, yep. Nobody made me climb over that fence after Mike. Nobody made me get that stuff from Mike. Nobody made me climb back over that fence. Nobody made me do any of that except for my own stupidness. And I remember thinking to myself, you can't just follow people. You've got to take charge of your life. And you get to a point where All the stuff that has happened to bring you to this point really doesn't matter whether it was right, wrong, fair, or unfair because it was kind of unfair. All that really matters is where do you go from here? What do I do with this now? You know, and everybody's got stuff that's happened to them, right? Fair or unfair, right or wrong. Sometimes it's things that happen to you. Sometimes it's things that, that you did. But you're here now. And all that really matters is where do you go from here now? What's your next step? How do you move forward from this point? And I knew at that time, I I made a decision at that time, I need to change my life. And one of the things I thought about, I need to get out of here. And that was when I started thinking about leaving England, leaving where I come from. Sometimes we need a moment of reckoning. 
We need to take an honest look at where we were, where we are, and we need to think about where we're going. Especially as followers of Christ. Especially when it comes to faithfulness. Now let me ask you a question. If you were to get honest with yourself, when it comes to faithfulness on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing? Is there room for growth? Now, I like this image in Luke. It says he went down with them and he stood on a level place. We've got a saying in England, on the level. Everybody, anybody heard that? Okay, I, I, I didn't know if it was just, you, you've heard of it? I didn't know if it was just primarily English. On the level means, are you being honest with me? Are you being straight with me? Are you telling the truth? Is that on the level? And, um, and, and maybe it comes from this, I don't know. Jesus is on the level with them. And he brings us to this on the level point. He's being on the level with them. Hey guys, guess where it goes from here? This is what it's all about. But there's a little phrase back in Matthew chapter 10, 7 that is critical to faithfulness and critical to this getting real. It's as you go. Now normally I teach... Uh, this series I've been teaching out of the um, New Living Translation. And it's not in the New Living Translation. So I looked it up, and pretty much every other translation has as you go. And I went back to the Greek, and yeah, I don't know why the New Living kind of skipped over it. But that's why I'm using the NIV. Now, if you've got your notes, just underline that. Matthew ten seven. as you go. Now, let me explain. I want to talk to you about faithfulness for the last 10 minutes here. I'm a pastor. You know I just lied. It may be a little longer than 10 minutes. But for this last little bit here. Who's counting? Thank you. Faithfulness. It's an interesting word. Faithfulness. We're going to break it down to faith, faithful, and faithfulness. All right? Just to help with this. Faith means to believe in something that cannot be proven. I choose to have faith in God is a statement of faith. I choose to believe in God is a statement of faith. To have faith then can be summarized with the word, words, I believe. Okay? Faithful is the next level of faith. It means to trust God. I trust God to be faithful in his word. I trust God to do what he said he's going to do. I pray to God, I ask, and and I believe that God's going to do it. I trust God. And there's a difference between belief and trust. Belief is, I believe if I sit on this stool, it'll support my weight. Trust is, oh look, this stool supports my weight. It's putting it in action. So I believe, I trust. Faithfulness takes it a step further. It's a, it's, it's a whole different level. It's a flip-flop of faithful. Faithfulness is the ability to remain faithful and see something through to the end, even when it doesn't go the way that you want it to go, and even when God doesn't come through the way that you want God to come through. Maybe he's got a bigger plan, a better plan than you. Let me tell you something. God has a bigger plan, a better plan than you or I. 
And we don't always understand his plan. And sometimes we pray for things and God doesn't come through. And, and I see people that have belief and they say they have trust. But when God doesn't come through the way they want him to come through, they start questioning God. Faithfulness is having an undeniable belief in the character of God, regardless of what happens. So it flips it the other way. Faithfulness is I can be trusted. That when Jesus sends me on a mission, like he's sending these guys, he's teaching them faithful. No matter what happens, guys, you're going to be starved. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be beaten. You're eventually going to be killed. Will you stay faithful to the mission that I put you on? That's what faithfulness, that's what Jesus is teaching in these passages of Scripture. It's not about believing in a miracle or believing for a miracle. It's an unshakable confidence in the character of God. That my God that sent me on this mission stays with me on this mission no matter what happens. So faithfulness means not giving up and not giving in. So faith, I believe. Faithful, I trust. Faithfulness, I can be trusted. Where are you on the faith journey. If you're going to be on the level with yourself, where are you on the faith journey? And what is your next step? As you go, as you go is a moment by moment faithfulness journey. Jesus didn't say on the way, hey guys, on the way, do these things. He said, as you go, it it completely changes. It's moment by moment. You know, as you go, you're not really going anywhere. As you go is every moment. Am I faithful in this moment? Am I faithful in this moment? Am I faithful in this moment? Am I faithful when I'm talking to you? Am I faithful when I'm thinking about who's watching on the internet? Am I faithful when I'm talking to you? Am I faithful when I'm alone sitting in front of my computer screen? As you go is so difficult for us because it's not a destination. It's an attitude of the heart. And this is all about what's in the heart. That's why Jesus said, what is in your heart is what matters. All right, let me finish up here by trying to make this applicable. Have you ever noticed in the scripture that Jesus often talked about the little things, especially when it came to faith? talked about mustard seed of faith, right? Little. And, and he talked often, he said, you know, you, you who can be trusted with a little can be trusted with much. If you can be trusted with a small amount of money, you can be trusted with much money. If you can't be trusted with a small amount, you can't be trusted with a large amount. And, and I hear people get it backwards all the time. They say, <laughs> you know, Pastor Mike, if I won the lottery, I'd tithe 10% of the church. So are you tithing now? If you're not tithing with the little bit you got now, you certainly aren't tithing when you get $20 million. Trust me on this one. (laughs) That's the principle that Jesus teaches. Faithfulness is an attitude of the heart. This is how I am. This is how I live. I will be faithful regardless of the circumstances that I find myself in. And the reason that Jesus emphasizes the little things is that life is just a mass of small moments, isn't it? It's just a bunch of little things together. 
And it's the little things that make us who we are. If we can learn faithfulness in the little things, we learn to be faithful. You know, when Sandra and I got married, we exchanged vows. I did a wedding yesterday. And one of those vows was to remain faithful. Well, I didn't leave leave there thinking, oh man, I hope I don't run into an affair. Because that's going to be so embarrassing because I just said this, you know, I hope I don't run into an affair. Being faithful, faithfulness is in the little things. It's not going for coffee with that good looking receptionist who's very easy to talk to and has invited you for coffee. I'm not going down that road. Not going to do that. Faithfulness is a moment by moment attitude of the heart. It's constantly choosing, I'm going God's way, not my way or the world's way. Every day, every way. So I love the way God does this. Two things this week that he taught me in this. So I'm in here praying early in the week. Praying about this message, praying about all the people I know that's got COVID. And uh, I've got, I'm reading the book of Ezekiel. I'm working my way through the Bible on, on, on Ezekiel. And the last 10 chapters of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has this vision of a temple that never gets built. And it goes through in detail, 10 long chapters. Each one of them is like 40 or 50 verses. And those verses are all long. (laughs) Let me just read you a snippet. This will get you interested. Then the man brought me to the outer sanctuary and measured the jams. The width of the jam was six cubits on each side. The entrance was 10 cubits wide. And the projecting walls on each side of it were five cubits wide. He also measured the outer sanctuary. It was 40 cubits long and 20 cubits wide. Then he went to the inner sanctuary and measured the jams of the entrance. Each one was two cubits wide. The entrance was six cubits wide and the projecting walls on each side of it were seven cubits wide. And he measured the length of the inner sanctuary. It was 20 cubits and its width was 20 cubits across the end and the outer sanctuary. Ten chapters of that. (laughs) Long chapters. But here's the deal. This is, this is what faithfulness is all about. If God put it in there, he put it in there for a reason. And maybe I'm not seeing the reason at this point. Maybe the only reason he put it in there is to teach me faithfulness. But God called me to be a keeper of his word. That's my job. That's what he pays me for. What did Jesus say? The worker is worth his keep. God pays me to be a purveyor of his word, a teacher of his word. And if I can't be bothered to read his word thoroughly, thoughtfully, and faithfully, even the long drawn out bits about the temple that never gets built, if I can't be faithful in that one little thing, then I can't be faithful to do this job. Because maybe in the middle of the next long passage of, oh my gosh, God, why? Right in the middle, maybe there's a little nugget of gold that God wants me to see and change my heart so I can come and share it with you and change your hearts. So I'm faithfully reading through these 10 chapters of Ezekiel and I'm looking ahead and I'm thinking, okay, Ezekiel will be over. I'll get to the next one. Lamentations. (laughs) Oh God, why? (laughs) 
Faithfulness is all about learning to go the distance. No matter where you go. As you go. There's so much more to this. How are we doing for time? All right. There's so much more to this. But I'm going to close this down here and, and we'll pick it up next week. But here's something I want you to do. I want you to get on the level with yourself, with God, with Jesus. When you think about your life and faithfulness and all the little things that make up your life, in every area, how is your faithfulness? As you parent, as you husband, as you wife, as you teller at the bank or teach or clean or, or whatever you, you work, as you study, as, as you play, as you watch, as you read, as you go, no matter where you go, how is your faithfulness on the level? And where do you need to get help? And what needs to change? And how serious are you about faithfulness with God? What conversations do you need to have? You know, <laughs> I got here this morning and um, the phone has just been, we all know, all week. Bing, 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 bing. People with COVID. And in the last week, we, we know eight people. One of them's in the hospital on a ventilator. Lynn is in the hospital. And when I say we know eight people, I'm talking about people, they're not people that I know who know someone. They're people I've talked to and touched. And, and it's ding, 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 ding. And I'm looking at the graphs and I'm thinking, we were so close. It's like we could see it from where we stand. This thing is about to go away and life is going to return to normal. And now the graph is zoom and it's going to get worse. And I got here and I was in a bad mood. I thought no one's going to be in church. I don't blame them. I wouldn't either. Honestly, if I wasn't preaching, I'd be watching online. Not that I want you to do that. (laughs) And we were over having a prayer time, and I think it was Mo. Mo always encourages me with his prayers. And I started thinking about faithfulness. Faithfulness is staying true and sticking to it when it doesn't go the way that you think it should go, right? I'm getting all disappointed about COVID. I'm supposed to be going to England in September, and I'm thinking that's going to get canceled. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But we got to keep on praying. We have to be faithful in prayer. We have to be faithful as hope givers. We have to be faithful in being faithful. We have to be faithful in in being the people that God has called us to be every step of the way, even when it gets tough, even when the news is bad, even when you think, I can't take any more of this. You've got to be kidding me. We have to remain faithful. And it's just, I think God has a little wry smile on his face. Do you remember what you're preaching on this morning, Mike? (laughs) Be faithful, buddy. Don't give up and see it through. Amen? All right. That's all I got for you this morning. Let me just check the time here. 12.01. I want that on the record. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, you hold all things in your hands. And sometimes go, things go the way we think they should. And sometimes things don't go the way we think they should. Sometimes we pray for things, Father, and you decide, no. That's not how it's going to be. And when it comes to our loved ones and people who are hurt and people who are sick, and sometimes loved one passes away, we can start to doubt and we can start to wonder, where's God in all of this? God, teach us faithfulness. Teach us to have an unshakable faith in your character. You are God. You are love. And even when we don't understand it, you are God and you are love and you have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you, Father. Help us to stay faithful. Help us to be the purveyors of hope, to be the purveyors of joy, to be the purveyors of peace. Help us to be the ones who are different in the middle of darkness, Father. Let us be your light. Give us the power and the strength. And Father, I pray for each one this morning. There are areas in our life, if we get on the level, every one of us has got areas in our life where we know we've not been faithful and we could be more faithful. Father, show us what those are. Help us to get whatever help we need so that we can be who you've called us to be and do what you've called us to do as we go. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Please be faithful with your offering. You know, I love this church. This whole COVID thing started, what, over a year and a half ago now? I was talking to someone recently, um, and uh, he was asking, how's the church doing? I said, well, before COVID, you know, we were averaging about 100, 110 maybe on a Sunday. And then after COVID, it went down to like 40. (laughs) And it went back up 60, 70, and now we're back to about 30, I guess, because of COVID. But our people have been absolutely faithful in their giving. And right from the get-go, we have not seen a blip. It's been rock solid. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness. And I want to encourage you to stay faithful. And you know what we've seen? We've seen new people. We've seen people come to Christ and in the middle of crisis. Thank you, God. Thank you. Please stand. Let me pray for you. And we are recommending. We're not forcing anybody to wear a mask. But you saw me wearing mine. I don't want to get sick. And I don't want to cause anybody else to get sick. That's, that's my perspective. We're not going to make anybody wear a mask. Tomorrow is first Monday prayer. Thank you, Mo. We will be gathering here for prayer at 7.30. 7. 7 o'clock here. Please feel free to come. We will be socially distanced and safe. And we will call on the Holy Spirit to change people's lives. Let's pray. Father, I just... Lift up these people to you. I lift up to the ones online. Father, pour out your blessing upon us, I pray. Father, fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit so that everywhere we go, we can pour those blessings on the people that we meet. Keep a smile on our face, Father, and keep joy in our hearts, I pray. And may your peace be with us everywhere we go. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Thank you all. We'll see you next week.
tomorrow.